This morning, if you could go in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. I want to speak to us this morning about building on the rock. Building on the rock. And uh, in Matthew 5, from Matthew 5, from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, it's a teaching that Jesus gives on a mountain. He goes up a mountain, and he gives a teaching that uh, many have called the Beatitudes. And um, the last thing he says is in Matthew 7. Verse 24 to 29 of the Beatitudes, and it says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them, or him, to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So, we see two basic statements. First, that the teachings that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes are useful to build your life on. Secondly, that the storms will come, no matter how you build. A lot of people, when the storms of life come, that's the concept of I'm doing something wrong or something of, you know, it's my fault. Jesus is saying here, the storms will come either way. The storms of life will come. Depending on how you build, the storm reveals that. So that's actually quite encouraging. So today, what I want to do is I'm going to ask you to open your hearts and your ears, and your minds, and your spirits to something that I, I want to say today. It's something that the Lord put in my heart about a week and a half ago in prayer, and he had a, I was just in prayer, and the Lord, it's like a sentence that he put on my heart, and it, it was like a concern on his heart for the season. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today, but we're going to do it in three parts. We're going to look a little bit at uh, what it means, what the Bible teaches about strongholds. That's going to be a teaching. I've done it before, so I'm not going to move too slow, uh, but it's good to hear these things again. And then we are going to look at a little bit at the concern that the Lord put in my heart, and then we're going to look at some truth from Scripture concerning that concern. So please turn to 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, if you can. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. And we'll come back to why we read the Beatitudes in a moment. In 2 Corinthians 2, um, I want to talk to you a bit about building strongholds or castles or fortresses. And in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul's actually speaking about forgiveness. We're not talking about that today. But I'll read from verse uh, 10. And he says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. But if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Some of your translations may use the word schemes or plans, but the, the Greek word for devices there, the actual word, and it's every other time it's used in the New Testament, it's the word mind, your mind. And so Paul wants to make sure that God's people are not ignorant of the devil's way of thinking. That's actually what he's saying. So when a person doesn't forgive, we're not speaking about forgiveness, but when a person doesn't forgive, they've come into agreement at any time. They come into, into the agreement with the enemy's way of thinking. And so then Paul makes a statement, and he doesn't want God's people to be ignorant of the devil's way of thinking. Now, it's not good to overemphasize the devil. 
it's not good to, to focus on him really at all. I, I say that all the time. But he does have thoughts. He does have plans. He does have schemes. He does have a way of thinking. In fact, in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 4, it talks about the, the doctrine of demons. And so they have a doctrine. They have a belief system, and it's built on lies and fear that come to entrap and destroy God's people. They get that doctrine from Satan, from the enemy. The Bible also says that we could possibly have the mind of Christ. It says we have the mind of Christ, meaning we have the ability to think His thoughts. So, now, we have to understand that the devil has no authority. I'm going to read you something very quickly. The devil has no authority except what we give him through agreement. The devil has no authority except what we give him through agreement. It's important to understand that. That's why if you see even with Adam, he comes to Adam in the garden. He had to come to Adam because he had to attach himself to someone who had authority, to usurp and to steal the authority because he had none of his own. It's very, very important to understand. He doesn't have authority, but he does. He does have power. He does have power. And so, but... He's an inferior power to the believer because we have Christ. So the implication in the verse is this, and I've, I've said this many times. I actually heard it from someone else years ago. But the implication is this, that inferior power, which is the enemy, can overcome superior power, which is you and me because of Jesus, if superior power is ignorant of how the devil thinks, of his thoughts, of his schemes. Paul issues a similar statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Now, the word gifts is not there in the Greek. And what he actually says is, Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant of the spiritual. So we have this amazing covenant with God. We have this amazing covenant with God in the New Testament where because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross, we receive forgiveness of sin, which is amazing. And we receive salvation, the forgiveness of sin, the redemption. But not only that, we also receive access to God. We also receive peace with God. Romans 5 says we have peace with God because the righteousness of Jesus, the life that He lived on our behalf, is imputed. That word imputed means to be placed upon us as if we lived it. Okay, And because of that, we have access to God. We have, we have access to a personal relationship. It's no longer a national relationship like it was with Israel. It's now a personal relationship with God, with God our Father. I have access to Him. I have relationship with Him. But the New Testament, even in this New Testament, it also teaches us not to be ignorant, not to remain unaware of a few things, namely the enemy's way of thinking, and the unseen realm. I do not want you to be ignorant of the spiritual, meaning the, the realm of the kingdom, the kingdom realm, the unseen realm. It does, the, the Holy Spirit is telling us in the New Testament not to be ignorant of the enemy's way of thinking or of the unseen realm. But we live in this world. Now, I know I'm moving fast, but it's important. We live in this world. So if you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think the scriptures are coming up. Um, it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, now that's not your flesh nature, that's not the sin nature, that means we walk in this body on the earth physically. We do not war according to the flesh. We do not have physical weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
That's physical or, or natural. But mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So do something cheesy in your home. Say strongholds. Wonderful. I trust that you did. Casting down arguments. Say arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Say knowledge of God. Bringing every thought. Say thought. Into captivity. To the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I'm going to read that again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it speaks about strongholds. It speaks about arguments. What is an argument? An argument is where you have two parties that each believe they have points of truth or facts, but they disagree. So now they're having an argument. Every high thing that exalts itself, anytime you see anything that is self-exalted, it's probably not from the Lord. So, and it exalts itself in competition based on, in competition to the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is not just our knowledge about God. I've, I've said this many times, but it's what God knows to be true. It's truth. And it comes from Him, what He knows to be true. So something will exalt itself, will make itself, will pull itself in a high place, because in the, in the Scripture they would go to the high places. It would exalt itself in the, in the heavens in competition to what God knows to be true. That's lies. And it will speak these things into our hearts and into our minds. And so we are called to bring these thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, Overlooking Corinth, Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth. Now, overlooking Corinth, if you were there in the day, you would see there was a, it was a hill. It was actually a mountain. It was about 2,000 feet high. And there was a massive castle or fortress or stronghold. That's just the word they used to use, stronghold. That was up on that. It was overlooking that. And he uses that imagery to explain spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Now, in the natural and in the unseen, in the natural realm, a castle or fortress or stronghold comes to, it, you go in there, even though there's a battle happening on the outside, there could be a battle, there's a battlefield, but you can run into the fortress, you can run into the stronghold uh, in order to get food, to be safe, to be kept warm, to, to rest, even though the battle continues on the outside. And then you run back out into the battle. That's, in a sense, what a stronghold was. That's a castle. That's a fortress. The Bible says over and over in the book of Psalms, the righteous run into God. We run into Him. He is our refuge. He is our strong fortress. He is our tower. It's the same concept. In the unseen realm, strongholds are thoughts, a pattern of thoughts, a way of thinking that has become established in our minds. That's why the Bible speaks about arguments, speaks about knowledge, the knowledge of God. A stronghold is a pattern of thoughts, a way of thinking that has become established in our minds. It can be based in truth, because we have the mind of Christ, or it can be based in fear and lies, which is the enemy's way of thinking. So what Paul is actually saying the enemy has a way of thinking, and we can't be ignorant of it, brethren. We can't be ignorant of it, he's saying to the people in Corinth. Why? 
Because if we are ignorant of it, we will not be able to discern what's the enemy and what's the Lord. And if we can imagine, I wrote it like this, if we can imagine the enemy living in a castle in reinforced security that we create for him in our own hearts and in our own minds simply by how we think. We can create a stronghold in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives, in our hearts, on the inner man. We can create a stronghold by how we think that the enemy, in a sense, hides inside there. Or we can create a stronghold of truth. A stronghold of truth. And the nature of truth is that it sets free. And so the Bible even talks about in Matthew 13 that some people are like, the seed that has been planted, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, it's planted. But when it's grown into a big tree, it becomes bigger than all the other herbs and shrubs into a big tree that the birds of the air find nest. It can nest in and find rest. So what happens is a person can build their lives upon truth and then the lies of the enemy comes, the doctrine of the demons comes, the, 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 the pervading thoughts come, but you've built a, an edifice, a strong tower, a fortress of truth, and you can very say, so that's not true, that's, that's not, and you can even begin to help others, they find shade from a tree because you have an ability to just very quickly discern truth. You've built a stronghold in any given area of truth, and the enemy has no access. Or you have a stronghold where you believe lies, and they, it's something that we think is true, negative, or even positive sometimes, but something that we think is true, but it's not. And it's, there's, a, there's a stronghold there, and that requires truth to tear that down. So that, very quick, I know I ran through a lot, but that's quick as to what is a stronghold in Scripture. Now, about a week and a half ago, I uh, was in prayer, uh, quite a long time of prayer, and this concern began to build in my heart just as I was speaking to the Lord. And the Lord put this, this sentence in a sense. He said this to me, my concern is that my people don't realize that in this season, we are building strongholds. Whatever is built in this season, whatever stronghold is being built in this season because of the isolation, because of corona, because of fear, because of whatever it is, whatever stronghold is being built, when the situation, when the current storm, when the isolation, when, when that goes away, and it will go away, the strongholds that we've built in our hearts, in our minds, remain. The situation goes away, but it's built something inside of us. And that remains, and it's always true. It's not just about this, it's always true. It could be trauma, it could be uh, a, a tragic event, a deep loss, a, uh, it could be something good, an incredible revelation, someone blesses you overwhelmingly. There's an event, there's a season in life, there's, a, there's something that takes place, and it builds in us a certain way of thinking, it puts a lens, it builds a stronghold in us from which now when the situation goes, when the trauma's over, when the season is finished, but now we are left with a stronghold and that influences our thoughts ongoingly. If that stronghold is built on truth, it consistently sets us and others free because we have reinforced the truth inside of us. If the stronghold is built on fear and lies when the situation goes away, we will see things that do not even relate to the situation that caused it 
we will see everything else through that light, or many things through that light. So when the storm or situation goes away, and it will, the strongholds we have built will remain. And so I don't mean to jar you or to offend, but that is what the Lord put in my heart, that in this season, there are many people gripped with fear, gripped with fear, and they are feeding themselves constantly with it. It's everywhere you look. It's just, it's everywhere you look. But at the beginning, we read this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And so I have a question for you, for each one of us. What strongholds are being built in this season, in your life and in your heart, on the inner man? It's not a question to cause condemnation. It's something that the Bible says, don't be ignorant of it. Be aware of it. And if we are not sure, well, what's occupying your thoughts? Because whatever occupies your thoughts, whatever you're constantly feeding on, that's what occupies your thoughts. And what occupies your thoughts begins to become established in your heart. But at the same time, we don't take responsibility for temptation. Please hear this. You, you've heard me say this before, but it needs to be said over and over and over in today's culture. We don't, I, I heard a young man said to a preacher, I have these terrible thoughts passing through my mind. And the preacher said, well, that's wonderful. And the young man said, how can you say that? He said, well, because they're passing through. They don't remain. We don't take responsibility for temptations. Things will come across our mind. It's like a bird flying over, but we don't want it to nest. We do take responsibility for what we do with it, with meditation. And so when there's a situation causing fear and panic, and people are not even so much afraid of health, but more the economy, the country, the fear of financial future, the fear of security. And when there's a constant feeding of that, uh, my concern is that it's building a stronghold that will affect us when this thing is over. And so I want to, would like to give you some truth this morning as to how what Jesus said about the very thing that we're facing. Could you go to Matthew chapter 6, one chapter back please. I went all the way to Romans. That was not helpful. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read a large portion of Scripture, and then we are going to look at it very briefly. But my heart is to remind us this morning of simple, basic truth. Basic truth. What it means to be the people of God. What it means to be in His family. What it means to be in this wonderful covenant that we have because of our great salvation. So, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to read right through to the end of the chapter. So I hope you've got your Bibles. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Well, that's money. That's the Aramaic word for money. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink. Let's say that again. Your translation may say, do not be anxious. That's more in line with what it actually says in the Greek. Do not be anxious. Do not have anxiety about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. That's actually status. The outer garments had to do with status and identity. But what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, by stressing, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his stature? And that is not talking about your physical stature. It's metaphoric, talking about the length of your life. It's worrying about your future being anxious about your future. So why do you worry or be anxious? Why are you in anxiety about clothing, about identity, about status? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the fire or into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles there just means those who don't have a covenant with God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, famous scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, that's a, that's a big passage of Scripture, and I, I love that Scripture, and I'm actually excited about something that I want to try and present to you quickly, because there is truth in here that Jesus is talking about the very way of thinking. Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We want to build an edifice, a strong tower of truth, and we want to feed ourselves on that so that we can discern what is actually real, what is right, what is true. And he starts by saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Now, that word do not lay up or that phrase do not lay up could also be said, do not give priority to. That's what it actually means in the Greek. Do not give priority to. Please hear me. I've heard this taught that that means we shouldn't have savings and investments. That's not true. You can have savings, investments, uh, assets, and, and all sorts of 401ks, and whatever it is. That's great. The Bible clearly teaches on financial stewardship, on building an inheritance for your children, even generational wealth. What it's talking about here is a trust issue, a reliance issue in the heart. Upon what do you lean? Upon what do you rely upon when the storm comes? Because the storms come. No matter how we build, the storms come. That's what Matthew 7 says. So what do we lean on? What do we rely upon? What is our source? Not what do we say our source is just, well, you know, and we quote a scripture, but what is our source 
in reality, in the heart, in the heart. And that's what he's saying, do not lay up, do not give priority to. Billy Graham uh, had a revelation of faith. He was, in, uh, he was in the Amazon jungle, and he was preaching, he said, in some little hut. And he walked out of this little this, like, hut, and they were right by the Amazon River, and there was a man who had built, I think out of bamboo or something, there was a man who had built like a, what you would see, like a reclining chair, like you would see by the side of a pool. And, but they're in the middle of nowhere. So he had built this long chair, and he was, he was old. Billy Graham said he was as old as the earth. And he was laying down, and uh, <laughs> he was laying down to Billy Graham, and he was like trying to you know, rest it and, and lay back. And Billy Graham said to him, sir, what are you doing? And the man looked at him and said, uh, I'm reclining. And he said, in that moment, he had revelation of what faith is. And the Lord said to him, Billy, that's faith. When you rest all your weight upon something, you rest all your weight. It's going to hold you up. And that's what faith is. Now, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. You stay in Matthew 6, please. Well, you can turn there if you want to. But it says this, Paul speaking to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age. Now, can I say, without causing offense, most people that are hearing me today Certainly most people in Free Life Church because of the area we live in, but most people who are hearing me are considered wealthy. By the world's standards, we are all blessed and wealthy. I've seen poverty, and, and we are not in poverty. And he says this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust, nor to rely in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things, to enjoy. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Somebody asked a question a while ago concerning that, I believe probably that scripture. And they said the question that needs to be asked, how much money is too much money? It's a, it's a great question. How much money is too much money for the believer? And the answer is what they said, and it just impacted my life. They said, it's any amount that replaces trust. And for some people, that's $100. And it instantly causes our trust to be placed, placed on the money or the finance or the security that we seek. For some people, it's $100 million. For some people, there's no amount. So it's not, it's not how we think. It's any amount that replaces trust. And that's what Jesus says next. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever a person places, I'm going to read you this, whatever a person places as their source for their future, whatever they rely on, whatever they actually put their faith into in reality, whatever they look to, that will demand your heart from you. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It will snatch the affections of your heart. That is what it will require. And then Jesus goes into a Jewish idiom, the lamp of the body. And unfortunately, it's been very misunderstood uh, for a number of people. But it says this, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's kind of confusing. Like, what do you mean, Lord? Well, there was a Jewish idiom that has to do with a good eye or an evil eye. And people have said it's your sight, it's your perception. To some degree it is. But actually, Proverbs 28 tells us what it is. Proverbs 28, 22 says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches 
and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. An evil eye is said to be, in the, in the Jewish idiom, in the Jewish world, an evil eye was a stingy person, was a selfish person, was a, a person with a closed hand that wouldn't give. There was not a, gener- not a generous person. Uh, a, um, a good eye would be someone that was very generous. That's why it's in between, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, and you cannot serve God and money. He's talking about finance. Okay, but... And even in the Moffat translation, it actually says a selfish or stingy person. But he's not talking about finance. He is, but it's a deeper issue of the heart, and the way we deal with finance just reveals it. um, I can give you a few more scriptures for those of you who want them. And even in Matthew 20, you will see... Actually, let me read it to you. Uh, In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is giving a parable about, many of you know, about workers in the vineyard, workers in the vineyard, and he hires people. He's giving a parable about a, a, the owner of a vineyard, and he sends his, his um, steward out to hire people to come and work in the vineyard. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So some people came in early in the morning, and they worked 12 hours, some 10 hours, and every hour they realized there's more work there, so the more workers keep coming. But the very first workers that came, he had an agreement with them. It says it in Matthew 20. I will give you a denarius, which is typically a day's wage in those days. So they came with that agreement. Then it comes to the end of the day, and uh, we'll pick it up in that part in verse 8, Matthew 28. He says, So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers to give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. So they'd, they'd seen the people who came last, they only worked one hour, they received a denarius. So the people who were told, you'll get a denarius for a whole day's work, they thought, oh, this is great, we're going to be getting more money. But they didn't. Verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, but they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. Now, technically, this is about the Jewish people and the Gentiles. I won't get into that. That's what it's talking about, how we inherited from them. But verse 13, he says, But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. Is it not lawful for me, that would be now the Lord, to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil? So again, Jesus uses that phrase, is your eye evil? And it has to do with finance. He says, but is your eye evil because I am good? It's an amazing scripture. Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last, so the first, they will be first and the first last. So we see this truth even in Matthew 6, which talks about the lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye is good, your body will be full of light. If your eye is evil, it will be full of darkness. And it's interesting that it can be difficult to see the goodness of God. He said, if your eye is evil, is your eye evil because I am good? Jesus talking about finance. And I found with people that it can be difficult to see the God's goodness when we live in comparison to others. It affects our sight. It can be difficult to um, see God's goodness when we, in a sense, hold God hostage 
And we don't mean to do that, but many we do. We kind of hold God hostage based on what we think fairness is. That's what was happening in Matthew 20. Well, God, you should have done this, and you should have done this. And he says, listen, that's all mine. And, and do you, are you going to develop a jealous, an evil, an envy? Are you going to develop this because I am actually just generous and I am good? So then Jesus says this, and we'll tie it all up. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. So he brings it down to that. Why? Why can you not serve two masters? If you can picture two masters... There's a servant and there's two masters. You cannot serve two masters because the time will come when they make opposing requests of you. The time will come when two masters give you converging orders. And the Bible is saying that this is a trust issue. This is a reliance issue. This is where we see our source. Do not in do not trust, do not rely upon uncertain riches. This has got to do with the, the fear, the panic, the issues that are going on. What are our thoughts? What are we building an edifice of? What are we strengthening ourselves in? What are we allowing to be built a stronghold in our hearts and in our lives? And then when you come to this specific area, he's saying, don't lean on finances. Don't lean on worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about the future. Don't, and the worry will come if we see anything else as our source other than the Lord. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says you cannot serve both God and money because at some point there will be a choice that has to be made for the kingdom or that has to be made for a person whose whole world is status and finance and there will come a choice. And I know some of what I'm saying today may not be easy, it's actually wonderfully, it sets us free. But it will be, there will be a choice which seems like imposing directions. That's why you cannot serve two masters, because they will give different commands. So where is my heart anchored? What do I rely upon? Where have I placed my trust? What are my thoughts when the storms come? What am I building right now? Those are issues in the heart that we can be aware of. And then the next sentence, Jesus says, Jesus assumes... In this, in this story, that it has become God. He says, for therefore I say to you, you cannot serve two masters, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, about what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. He assumes that we've made God our source. He assumes that we've made, in a good sense, that we've come to understand that God is our only source. He is the one who we rely on. He is the one who we put our faith in. He is the one when we cannot see, when we, there's, there's fear. We are, you know, people are filling themselves. Everything is corona, corona. They're filling their hearts, their minds, their thought patterns. Their, everything is panic, fear, worry about the future, finances. What am I going to do? And some people are in difficult situations. And what's happening, and the concern I have, is that the stronghold, there is something being built in this season that will outlast the season. It will affect us ongoingly. And so here the Lord is saying, if you build your life on my teachings that he's just spoken about, he says, when the storms come, it will hit your life, but everything will stay standing. And now we look at this teaching, and he's talking about 
laying up treasures. He's talking about the trust of the heart, the reliance of the heart, what we lean upon, where we look to, what is our refuge, what is our strong tower, how do we think about it. And that's why he says the lamp of the body is the eye, if the eye is evil or if the eye is good. Then Jesus talks about our value. He says, oh, you're not more value than a sparrow. So there's something that has to do with anxious that has to be tied to our value, the way we perceive God thinks about us. That's value. And then I'll make this one statement, then we'll get practical. Then he says, therefore do not worry. Therefore do not worry. You can say that. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What sh-? He says, for the Gentiles seek. For after all these things, the Gentiles, those who are not walking with the Lord, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. That word seek is not like, oh, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. It actually means, where well, I've brought it down somewhere. So it means to wish for, to crave, to clamor after, to demand. It's consumed you. It's consumed you. And he says, do not worry. Do not be anxious in your heart. What shall we eat? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, I'm furloughed, or I, I can't see the future, or what's going to happen with our savings? What's going to happen with this? Are we gonna, uh, and it starts to consume you. And your whole sight, your eyes, your, your, your future, your sight is affected by it. And he's saying, after these, the Gentiles clamor. They, they, they seek, they strive, they thirst after, they long for. It consumes their heart, their thoughts, and their life. And he says, but you, your heavenly Father, he knows that you need all these things. So you seek, same word, you strive, clamor after, demand, uh, uh, crave the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Paints that verse a little different. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which Jesus purchased, purchased on our behalf. And all these things shall be added to you. When God has our heart, when God truly has our heart, he has our heart. Lord, I don't understand but I trust you, I rely on you, I look to you, I run to you, I lean into you. Yes, it doesn't mean I've never got to think about that stuff. I've got to think, I've got to be a steward, I've got to take care of it. But my reliance, what I lean on, is not uncertain riches, which today is and tomorrow vanishes. I lean on you. I seek, I thirst for your kingdom. I long for your presence. I I, I long for you. I want to build a stronghold in my life of truth based on the kingdom so that others can come find shade, others who are anxious and in a sense the, the, in, the inner man is being stressed and pressed in this season while we get an opportunity to build a stronghold of truth, walls of courage and of truth because we've seen the deception so we, we crave the kingdom. So this is very simple. I know it's We've gone through a lot, but it's very simple. When the storm leaves, when the situation goes away, when corona's over, so when the
we spoke about a position of trust and heart and reliance. But the Bible actually gives us something to do that I want to give to you. If you're struggling in this area, the Bible says if you're, the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, and a good eye, speaking about generosity. But again, it's not just generosity because of generosity's sake. It's generosity because of a heart position. It's generosity because I know who I rely on. It's in reference to finances because nothing will reveal the heart more than finances. But more than anything else, it's, it's the eye is good. It's, the, it's generosity. He says, if your eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is evil, the body will be filled with darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What he's saying is, if you're relying, if your whole, everything you lean on is financial and future and finance and security on those things, there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. But if that is your source, that is in a sense what you receive as revelation, as light. That's your security. Your eyes, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding will grow dim. And it's hard to receive revelation from the Lord. It's hard to see the goodness of God. Is your eye evil because I am good? It's hard to perceive what God is doing. It's hard to open the eyes and the ears of our heart to hear what you're saying. It's hard to get revelation from Scripture because we're consumed over here. And we're allowing sometimes the enemy to build a stronghold without realizing it. And so he gives us something to do, and that is what? Give. Give. <laughs> I'm not about to ask, I'm not about to do a request for finance for the church, but I'm going to encourage you to do something. Give. When this issue comes up in my life, when I start, because it, it comes up in everyone's life. It's, we don't take responsibility for the temptation. But when I start to become fearful, when I start to become worried about what are we going to do, the church's finances or, or my finances, or it's like it, it starts to almost demand my heart, you know, where your treasure is, your heart is. It starts to pull my heart. It starts to pull my focus. It starts to demand of me, I want your heart. I want you to lean on me. I want you to rely on me. And fear comes up. Uh, well, you know, it's like straight away I realize the enemy, because we have the mind of Christ, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which means I have the possibility, because of Christ in me, to think based on truth, not to think the enemy's way of thinking. And sometimes, if we just stay in the, in the thought process, yes, we have to take those captive, sometimes it helps to do something or to say something, because that's a way to release your faith. So what I've done, and I continue to do, is when this comes up in my life, and it does from time to time, because we're all the same, I... A, a good eye is generosity. So when this comes up, I go down. It's so simple. The first thing I want to do is I've learned I need to give some money. I need to give something. It doesn't even have to be a lot. It's a, it's a demonstration, and, and, and I do it with confession. I say something, but I'm saying, even though when I'm stressed about money, I'm, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. So what I do practically is I go down to 7-Eleven. And at my 7-Eleven down the road, there's about 20 or 30 guys or 15, it depends on the day, all these gentlemen who are hanging around outside looking for work. 
and uh, and so you know you get all you get angst and it builds up inside of you and there's fear and so what I do is I say all right well I'm not going to bow to the enemy so I'm going to go down to my 7-Eleven and I'm going to buy them all coffee and a donut it costs about 30 40 50 dollars especially when you don't have the money you know because sometimes that's a lot of money for some people so when you don't have the money so I run down there and I do that and it's me saying to the enemy enemy <clears throat> I'm not going to focus on you but I will not allow the way of your, your way of thinking to develop a stronghold in my life. I want my eye to remain good. I want the eyes of my heart to remain open. I want revelation for light to flood in, to continue to flood in so that I can build an edifice and a stronghold of truth. So I will make sure that my eye is good. And the way I do that is I will go down and I will begin to give people something when I feel like I don't have, when I feel like I need to, I need to, I need to save. I need to, yes, we need to do those things. We need to be a steward. But when it becomes, when it starts to challenge everything, Every high thing that it exalts itself against what God knows to be true and starts to challenge your, your source. It starts to challenge what you rely on. It starts to challenge your security. When that happens, because it happens in the heart, then I say, no. And we go down to 7-Eleven and I just begin to give to people. It's not a lot, but it's a way of releasing my faith. I will not allow a stronghold to be built in my life that after this little season of worry is over, now will affect my sight and will affect and give me a lens for the future. I will not allow that because the enemy doesn't deserve that. I will not allow a stormy season to build a negative stronghold that affects my life way after the storm is gone. Instead, I will build a fortress of truth that grows to become a tree that others can find shade in, and so the eyes of my heart stay open to revelation. So, this truth right now, and I hope that was clear. It's, it's, there's a lot to say about it, so it, to be honest with you, it was a little difficult to make it clear, but it's, it's a truth right now that is under attack for God's people. We are the people of God. We are God's chosen ones. We are God's heart. He's the focus of his affection. He loves us. God is good. He is for us. God is going to work these things for good. I want to encourage you, if you are positioned there, filled with worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, especially concerning any area, don't allow the enemy to build a stronghold. If it's in the area of finance, if it's in the area of anything to do with wealth, finance, position, status, give something. Go find someone and give them something and make a declaration. You don't have to say it in front of them because that's weird, but you make a declaration. I'm doing this, Lord. You are my source. You are my source. And I do this in faith because I will not bow to the enemy. I will not do it. And you, that's, why, that's one of the reasons I believe Jesus loved the widow and her two mites. She gave when she had nothing, revealing something. My eyes of, eyes of my heart will stay open for revelation, Lord. Speak to me. Show me. Let me clamor after, crave, and wish for the kingdom, the things of the kingdom, so I can build a stronghold of truth which keeps free and which sets free. I trust that was helpful to you.